0: And they came and say unto him, Why do the disciples of John and of the Pharisees fast, but thy disciples fast not? Jesus said unto them, Can the children of the, of the bride chamber fast while the bridegroom is with them? As long as they have the bridegroom with them, they cannot fast. But the days will come when the bridegroom shall be taken away from them. Then shall they fast in those days. No man also seweth a piece of new cloth on an old garment, else a new piece that filled it up taketh away from the old, and the rent is made worse. No man putteth new wine into old bottles, else the new wine doth burst the bottles, and the wine is spilled, and the bottles will be marred, but the new wine must be poured into new bottles. And it came to pass that he went through the cornfields on the Sabbath day, and his disciples began as they went to pluck the ears of corn. And the Pharisees said unto him, Behold, why do they on the Sabbath day that which is not lawful? And he said unto them, Have you never read what David did? When he had need, he was hungry, and he that were with him. How he went into the house of God in the days of Abiathar, the high priest, and did eat the showbread, which is not lawful to eat, but for the priests, and gave also to them which were with him. And he said unto them, The Sabbath was made for man, and not man for the Sabbath. Therefore the Son of Man is Lord also of the Sabbath. And he entered again into a synagogue, and there was a man with which had a withered hand. And they watched him, whether he would heal him on the Sabbath day that they might accuse him. He said unto the man which had the withered hand, Stand forth. And he saith unto him, Is it lawful to do good on the Sabbath day or to do evil, to save life or to kill? But they held their peace. And when he had looked around about on them with anger, being grieved for the hardness of their hearts, he said unto the man, Stretch forth thine hand. And he stretched it out, and the hand was restored whole as the other. And the Pharisees went forth and straightway took counsel with the Herodians against him, how they might destroy him. You may be seated. I was just thinking, I guess last night, I love to tell the story. I love to tell the story of Jesus and his love. It's a beautiful thing. I love when people sing the story of Jesus, but I love to tell the story. And I think I have one of the greatest callings in life is to tell the story of Jesus to you. I like to tell it to those who know it best. Somebody should write a song about that. (laughs) Seem hungering and thirsting to hear it like the rest. And then in scenes of glory, we'll sing a new, new song, but it'll be the old, old story that I have loved so long. That's just beautiful. All right. I don't know. My mind was on that. I love that. I love to think about that. Uh, Don't forget our men's dinner, our men's fellowship dinner that's going to be this Friday night. It was already mentioned on the video, 630. we got Kurt Skelly coming down from Virginia. He's going to do a wonderful job. He's a great preacher. I don't know if you've ever heard him, but he'll be here that night and sharing from the Word of God. But it'll be a wonderful dinner. Just no fanfare, no... No woman's touch. It'll just be men hanging out with tables and food, and that'll be basically it. But uh, it'll be a wonderful time. We'll meet in here. We had a great time last year, and it was a good time to gather. So make plans for that this Friday. I've entitled this message, Exposing the Darkness. Exposing the Darkness. Because what Mark is now going to do in this section of Scripture, he is going to now alert us to the gathering storm the gathering storm for the ministry of Jesus, which is ultimately going to take him to a cross. And so you see these conflicts that he has with these Pharisees and scribes, the religious leaders of the day. Now, most of us might shy away from conflict, but one thing you'll notice about Jesus here is he doesn't shy away from any of it. Instead of avoiding the conflict, he provokes the conflict. Watch, I'll heal on the Sabbath. What are you going to do about that? Watch, I'll let my... Uh, disciples eat on the Sabbath. What are you going to say about it? He provoked them. He provoked the religious leaders of the day. He prov- prov- uh, provoked the social customs and all that was going on in society in that day. He provoked people. That tells us something, okay? Because Paul himself said, we ought to expose the works of darkness. We don't sit around and just say, oh, it's terrible what's going on today. We're supposed to expose the works of darkness. We're supposed to bring out the evil that's there. And that's one thing that Paul says is that there are shameful works of darkness. We should have no part in the unfruitful works of darkness, but we ought to expose the works of darkness. And that's exactly what Jesus did. So that kind of catches my attention as I get into this because... Um, What they're going to do with Jesus now is as they've seen him heal this man and said he forgave sins, now what uh, the Pharisees and the scribes are going to do, they're sent from headquarters up from Jerusalem, and they're going to spy out every chance they get. They're going to stake them out like they're policemen or something, like spies, and they're going to stake out. They're going to they're hide in the bushes every chance they get, and they're going to watch Jesus. And everywhere he goes, they're going to keep their eye on him. And so they're staking him out, and then, then when they get him just right in the moment, they're going to come out and say, Citizens arrest, citizens arrest. And they're going to take him and they're going to, try to, they're going to try to prove that he is not the man you should follow. He is not the man to give your life to. He is a fraud. And that's going to be their whole focus in this section. And so they're going to hit him with question after question. And by the time they're done with all their questions, they want to kill him. They want to kill him. They despise his answers. Okay? But if you love, 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 if you love the old old story if you listen carefully you won't despise his answers what you'll find happening inside of you is you'll you'll hear Jesus calling to you underneath all of these conflicts that's the beautiful thing about this one he pushes someone away but another he invites and you can hear the call of Jesus okay that's how i want you to understand this passage of scripture as you join the journey with him into a new kind of life. So I've outlined that there are four new things Jesus calls us to in order to join him on the journey. Four new things. And I hope you can hear these. Underneath the words I'm saying. That the Spirit of God will speak to you. Number one, Jesus calls for a new kind of disciple. Jesus calls for a new kind of disciple. So he starts out this section back in chapter 2, verse 13. He goes out to the sea again. He always liked to go out to the sea when he called people. He likes to be at sea. We talked about that water before. We're not going to go into that. And uh, the multitude started following him, and he taught them. That was his favorite thing to do, to teach them. That's why he came, to give them the word. He knew the word could save them. He knew miracles couldn't do anything to get them to heaven. All miracles would do should point them to Jesus. But anyways, uh, in this particular note here, He says that uh, he passed by, so he's at the Sea of Galilee, and he passes by Levi, the son of Alphaeus, sitting at the receipt custom. He's a tax collector, that's what he is. And he said unto him, follow me. And he arose and followed him. Again, the call of Jesus, the effectual call of Jesus. He called him, and he said, man, I want to go. Now, there's a lot going on there, so you don't want to just see that as a simple come on But but the the truth of the matter is what's going on here is that Levi, this is his uh, birth name, and he gives the birth name and his father's name. So what it's trying to show you is this kid, this young boy, this uh, young man Levi had a sterling upbringing. He had a sterling upbringing. Son of Alphaeus. There's another son that made it to the list of twelve disciples. We'll see later from Alphaeus. So this Alphaeus guy must have been something. Raised some good kids. Except this one went bad. This one chose to be a a tax collector. And uh, so you see here in this book Levi, the the son of Alphaeus, who's later going to be Matthew. Everybody's going to call him Matthew later on, but right now he's called Levi. He wrote the book of Matthew. But he disgraced his family. He disgraced them. He's a tax collector. That'd be like being a drug dealer today. That's the closest thing I could think of, uh, except the fact that it's the highest paid position in the first century of Judaism and all of Israel. The highest paid position a person could make money at was a tax collector. That's unbelievable to think about. And yet the fact is, everybody hated tax collectors for different reasons. One is, you're helping our oppressors. Rome, you're taking our money and you're giving it to Rome. And not only that, but you're skimming off the top. So you've got to get the money for Rome as a tax collector, but now you skim off your profit, whatever you want to charge them extra. And so this guy was a no-good, despicable, disgraceful, unconscionable... evil scum of all the people that walk the face of the earth that's how everybody viewed this guy he's despicable he's disgraceful it's unconscionable he nauseates me when i see him because he's a tax collector Heaven forbid you'd help a Gentile pagan take taxes from us. Our oppressors, we can't stand Rome. You know they actually had a law in Israel at this time? It was legal to spit on a tax collector. It was legal to spit. You have to to actually have a law for that. It's okay to spit on a guy. But the truth is, nobody ever spit on a tax collector. Because the reason is, he had two Roman soldiers guarding him the whole time wherever he went. So even though you loved the law, you never did it. You never spit on him because it would be uh, trouble for you. But that was the way it was in those days. It's, It's unbelievable to think about this. They considered him a traitor. He was exceedingly wealthy. He lived a sordid life. He stationed his little tax shanty at the Sea of Galilee because that's where the most money was to be made because it was an international fishing trade area. I've told you this already, but that's where he'd hang out so they had to go through the major routes from Capernaum up into the other nations of the world where this was an international trade and he got the greatest tax off these fish. So that's where he hung out most of the time is there. He extorted his own people. He overcharged them for taxes. Rome needed somebody who could look their mother in the eye and lie to her without blinking. And that's what he's willing to do. I could steal my mother's last dime if I had to. That's who we want. You're hired. You'll steal your mother's money. You'll get enough for us. So, in order to be a tax collector in that day, you had to sell your soul to the devil. Now, the Pharisees are in the bushes, okay? They're watching this whole thing go down. And Jesus walks up to this little shanty, this little tax shanty with the two soldiers and Levi in it, and he says, follow me and be one of my disciples. It's unimaginable. This isn't the Peter James and John in a sailboat kind of story. Okay? This isn't the nice guys of Israel. This is the most despicable guy in Israel. Jesus walks up to this low life scum and says, "You're not too dark to receive my forgiveness. You're not too far gone to receive my grace." Bible says, Levi gets up and he follows him. That's what he wanted in his heart all along. I'm just sick of my life. I'm sick of the money. I'm sick of all this, sordid, evil life that I've lived. I've ripped everybody off. And I don't know where to go to get rid of that. And Jesus says, come with me. He calls them. Levi says, I'm going with you. I've heard about you. I've heard your teaching. I've seen your miracles. I've seen the people following you. you got something I want. So he follows him. Then Levi says to Jesus, man, listen, Jesus, I'm throwing a party tonight. All my buddies are going to be there. Would you come and be my honored guest? It says that Jesus sat at the table with them. The word sat there is the word to recline. So he's the big honcho. This is, no, this is no little party just coming over for dinner. This is a huge party just like the Lord's Supper where they reclined at the table. This is like the sinner's party. Okay? And they recline. Jesus, will you come and be my, will you come and be my honored guest? I want you to see all my buddies and all my friends. Because man, if you can change my life, I need to get you around my friends. Anybody who loves Jesus wants their friends to get around Jesus. And so he says, I'll go. So he, he's eating with. Sinners and tax collectors, the low life of the town, the low life of the community, the low life of Israel. And there comes those Pharisees. Citizens arrest! Citizens arrest! And instead of going to Jesus, see, they can't go in the house because those people are so lowly, those people are so much scum, they won't even go in the house. But the Pharisees jump out and they just kind of go to the edge of the house. Let's not get too close, okay? Why? Because. We're the Pharisees. You know what Pharisees means? We're the separated ones. We're the separated ones. We separate from all the customs. We separate from all the cultural people. We separate ourselves from everybody. That's what it means, a separated one. And so... Their definition, you've got to get this so you understand it. When they when they say he eats with ta- when they say the disciples he eats with tax and sinner, tax collectors and sinners, he's not talking about the fact that he should be eating with sinners. He's saying they're saying what the definition of a sinner is. Okay? The definition of a sinner to them is anybody who separates themselves from sinners. Salvation comes by separating yourself from him and him and her and her and getting so holy in your own life that you're not around anything evil or wrong or wicked. We don't hang out with those loose and moral people. Jesus' attitude is I'm gonna reach them. I'm gonna reach them, I'm gonna go where they're at. Where are they? They're at a party. I mean, and the Pharisees are fit to be tied. Jesus hears the whole thing going down in verse 17, and he said, They that are whole have no need of a physician, but they that are sick. I came not to call the righteous, but sinners to repentance. I didn't come to this earth for people who are okay. I came for the people at Triad Baptist Church. The people who are not okay. And if you're okay, you don't need me you don't got any issues you don't need me if you don't got any sin fine i didn't come for you i didn't come for you i came for people who are not okay i'm looking for people who know they're sick in their soul i'm not looking for healthy people i'm not looking for healthy people i'm looking for people who know they are sinners I have come, and get this now, this is the new kind of disciple Jesus is after. I have come for sinner disciples. You'll find that if you read the book of Mark, he almost put those two in the same place. Sinners, disciples, sinners, disciples. That's who he wants. He wants sinner disciples to follow him. That's the new kind of disciple that Jesus is after. He said, when I, I came from heaven, I was the doctor. And I came down from heaven, and I made a house call to them. Not because they were awesome. Because they were sick. And they knew they were sick. And they were evil. And they were rotten. And they knew they were selfish. That's who I came for. That's who I came for. While we were yet sinners, Christ died for us. That's the deal with Jesus. He meets us where we're at. He meets us where we're at. He first calls sinner disciples to himself, and then he changes them over time, over a period of time. He changes them, sinner disciples. One scandalous thing about Jesus is he doesn't make us change before he talks to us. The Pharisees couldn't stand that. We separate from those people. We don't hang out with those people. We never run with those people. We never try to even talk to those people. Jesus said, I'll talk to them. I don't care how bad they are. I don't care how wicked they are because they're the ones who need me. He talks to us before we ever change. Listen, get that in your heart and your soul. He talks to people messed up. Because if you feel you are messed up here today and you know you are sick... I'm so happy you're here. That's who Jesus wants to talk to. Jesus wants to get to know you, where you are, not where he's trying to take you. That's why Matthew, Levi, could go on to write, which is one of his phrases he loves in the book of Matthew, is nothing is impossible for God. He said it about Mary. He said it about himself. He knew, man, if you can reach me, Jesus, I got, I got this deep belief in me. Nothing is impossible for you. And that's basically what he's trying to tell us. If God can reach me, he can reach anybody. But you got to pull off your masquerades. you got to quit putting on a show. you got to pull off your masks. And you got to run to God and you got to say, I need you. I am desperate. I am a sinner. I know I'm selfish. I know I think of myself. I know I'm conceited. I know I got issues. I am messed up, Jesus says. Come on. Now, if you're healthy and you got a good mask on and you're playing the masquerade game, Jesus says, you don't want to follow me. You need to follow somebody where you can just kind of fit in with them. Go with the Pharisees. That's, that's really what's going on here. So that's, that's the new kind of disciple. Number two, Jesus calls for a new way of life. A new way of life. Verse 18, and the disciples of John and the Pharisees used to fast, and they came and said, why do the disciples of John and of the Pharisees fast, but thy disciples fast not? Okay, here's citizen arrest number three. The first one was, your sins are forgiven. The second one was, why eating with tax collectors and sinners? And now the third one is, why aren't you fasting? And why aren't your disciples fasting? John the Baptist's disciples fast. We fast. Now John the disciples fasted because they were fasting for the coming of the Messiah. That's why they fasted. But the Pharisees went beyond that in the oral traditions, and in the oral traditions they said, if you really, really love God, this is what the rabbis wrote, this never came from the Bible, but if you really love God, you'd fast at least twice a week. So the Pharisees said, disciples of John fast, but they fasted according to the fact they were looking for the Messiah. But we fast every Monday and every Thursday. Every Monday and Thursday, we go around and we look like we are starving. You're so sullen and grumpy, you haven't eaten anything, and you just look so godly. I'm just trying to do God's will, and uh, I'm... Truthfully, just a little better than you. And that's how they lived their life, just trying to look a little better than you. And so that's how the Pharisees did it. That's how John the disciples, John the Baptist disciples did it. And so they said to Jesus, "We fast, John the Baptist's disciples fast. But every time we look around at your disciples, they're eating big Macs. What's the deal? Monday we fast, you're eating Big Macs. Thursday we fast, you're at Chick-fil-A. Come on. Why don't you guys ever fast? See, they were adding to the law of God, the Old Testament law. They were adding their traditions and their oral laws passed on by the rabbis. And Jesus said, I'm just going to go right after that one. I'm going to go right after that one. And so in verse 19, Jesus said, Can the children of the bride chamber fast while the bridegroom is with them? As long as they have the bridegroom with them, they cannot fast. The days will come when the bridegroom shall be taken away from them, and then they shall fast in those days. What's Jesus saying? Well, simply put, I'm the bridegroom. I'm the bridegroom. And when the bridegroom comes, there's a party. And when the party's going on and eating and drinking and having a good old celebration for one full long week, okay, that's how they did it back then. You don't fast when you're at a party for a week. You don't fast. Even the the, uh, Pharisees didn't fast during uh, parties like that. But Jesus said, you don't fast when that's going on. Now, what's he saying here? In the Old Testament... The bridegroom was God the Father, and the bride was Israel. But God rejected them, and they went off into captivity. In the New Testament, Jesus is saying, I'm the bridegroom, and it's not Israel that's my bride, it's the church. It's the church that is my bride. And so basically what Jesus is saying is, I'm God, and God's here, and it's time to party time to party because i am here now one day i'll be snatched away one day i'll be crucified and then my disciples they'll fast during that when i'm crucified they won't eat for three days they won't eat but but until then until then man i'm right here with them and we're going to enjoy the day right now it's no time for gloominess no time for long faces no time for mourning Can you you get that in your spirit, what God's trying to do inside of you? It's not a time for gloominess. It's not a time for long faces and mourning. No, no. And one of the dangers you'll find is if you get caught up in this world and the way the world thinks, you'll end up thinking just like the world. Oh my goodness, look what's going on. It's really rough out here. The world's going all in the wrong way. But Jesus is saying, we who know Christ should be categorized by immeasurable hope and joy that should categorize our life not negativity and looking down on everything saying it's all going to pot that's not what he's saying he's saying man i have come and i've come inside of you to dwell and you should be you should be categorized by immeasurable hope and joy i hate to say this as a pastor but some of the most depressed people i know are christians why is that why are they so depressed It's like they didn't get the memo. He's alive. He's alive. Oh, I know, but you just don't know all the things that are going on in my life. Listen, if there was ever a day that we needed a new way of living to let the world see, I would say it's today. I mean, you got shootings going on everywhere. You wonder if a shooter will come in here one day. You have to actually think about that. Shootings going on every people. Wonder what's going on. People are so angry today. Get in the car. You'll find that out real fast. You'll say the world's going the wrong way. But Jesus is saying, you have me, and I gave you a new way of life. I gave you a new way of life. Don't you let this world take you down. Don't you let it take you down. I'm the bridegroom, and I'm right inside of you. I know what's going on. Do people notice that in you? Do they notice Christ is in you? So then he tells two stories. He tells about mixing the old cloth with the new cloth in verse 21, and then in verse 22 he says, you can't put new wine into old wineskins. Now why is that? Because if you take wine and you pour it in a wineskin, there's gases that are created with that leather and with that wine, and those gases then cause the wineskin to expand. And once it expands, that's as far as it can go. But if you drink that wine up, and then you come and you put new wine into that old wineskin, it can't handle those gases, and it expands to a point where it tears, and it lets all the wine out, and it's gone. So what does that mean then? If you put the new wine in the old wineskin, it can't expand, and it's lost. What Jesus is saying to him is, your traditions and your oral laws and all the rules you've come up with You've got to get rid of those. You've got to get rid of those. A new king is here, and a new life is expected in this new king. And the rules of the new king are completely different than your oral laws and your traditions. In other words, if I'm inside of you, there's a newness in you, like a new wine, and you're going to expand to me. You're going to grow to me. And you're going to have a new way, a new life. Because the Holy Spirit is going to be inside of you. And if you as a Christian try to keep your old ways, it won't work. You're going to burst your own life. That's the idea. You're going to lose the precious work of the Holy Spirit in your life because you're trying to kind of find some old way that Christ has never really put his blessing on. All your rules and all your traditions and all your laws, that's not going to work with me. i got some new laws for you. I got some new laws. All right, let's go on. Number three Jesus calls for a new kind of master. A new kind of master. The next question is about the Sabbath. Okay, let's look at that. Verse 23. And it came to pass that he went through the cornfields on the Sabbath day, and his disciples began as they went to pluck the ears of corn. Citizens arrest, citizens arrest, and the Pharisees said, and behold, why do they on the Sabbath day do that which is not lawful? They're eating, they're picking those things and working and eating those things on the Sabbath. Jesus said, have you never read? That's a slam. They memorized the whole Bible of the Old Testament. First five books, they had it memorized. Jesus said, have you never read? (laughs) He's insulting them. He's basically, I mean, it's just amazing to me. He's going right at them. And they say, wait a minute, the rules say, the rules say, the traditions of oral law say, and by the way, the traditions of oral law were hundreds of them. I went back and read a few this week. Let me just mention a few to you so you understand this, okay? The Old Old Testament traditional oral laws passed down by the rabbis say that if you have a Sabbath day journey, you're okay. But if you go one step over a Sabbath day journey, you have broke the Old Testament Sabbath law. So you could go 1,999 paces on the Sabbath day. If you went 2,000, you broke the law. 1,999 is okay, okay? But not 2,000 steps. You take more than 1,999 paces, you're done. So Jesus is criticizing They're oral laws. He's not criticizing the Old Testament law, but understand what he is doing with the Old Testament law. They had other laws like this. It was sinful to untie a knot. If you got a knot in something and you you had to leave it go until the Sabbath was over in the evening. Another law was this. You can work to save a life, but if they aren't going to die, you can't help them. Now, if they're going to die, you can save them. But if they're not going to die, you have to leave them alone. So if I pull my finger out of joint Technically, I cannot pull my finger back into joint until 6 o'clock at night on the Sabbath. Now think about that for a minute, okay? If I knock my shoulder out of joint, and say, hey, buddy, push me in. Sorry, I can't help you. It's the law. So i got to sit there in pain till 6 at night because that's the law. That was an oral tradition. So they come up with hundreds of these rules like this. So people are going around worried all day on the Sabbath. Most of them didn't even want to go anywhere because they were worried they're going to break the law. That's the kind of pressure they were under. So think about that for a minute. You can help the guy if he's dying, but if he's not dying, you got to let him sit there in pain until the end of the Sabbath. If a building collapses on the Sabbath on top of people, you're allowed to go move the stones, and if they're dead, you can't touch them because they're dead. That'd be unclean. Now, if they're alive, okay, you can pull the stones off of them, but if they aren't going to die, you've got to leave them there till the Sabbath's over at night. That's the craziest rule I've ever heard of him in my life. So you've got to let the guy lay there. You can clear the stones off of him, but you can't do anything else to help him. So he can moan all day like that, but as long as he, he's not going to die, you've got to let him there. That's the kind of crazy rules they have. So they come up with this rule to them and say, why do you let him eat on the Sabbath? Why do you let him pick the grain? off the corn husks, if you will. That's punishable by death, Jesus says. Have you never read your Bible? <laughs> when David was a fugitive running from Saul in 1 Samuel chapter 21 with his mighty man, he was without food, he was without shelter, except the only food that was left was the table of showbread in the tabernacle. And David went to the high priest Abiathar and he said to him, my men are about to faint. I want you to give me that showbread. And Abiathar said, here, have it. And he took it and he gave it to his men. Now, how does well, that make sense to them? Because to them, David was their hero. And so Jesus was looking at them saying to them, well, if your hero can do it, why can't I? If your hero can do it, why can't I do it? And then Jesus makes an amazing statement here. He says in verse 27, And he said to them, The Sabbath was made for man and not man for the Sabbath. That's a beautiful line. In other words, what he's saying there is, when God created the Sabbath, he didn't make Sabbath the all-consuming of everything, and man was made for that. No, he made man man. And then he gave him the Sabbath. He didn't make the Sabbath and then give man to the Sabbath. So, Jesus is saying, you guys forgot the whole purpose of the Sabbath. You're making the Sabbath God. What you will and will not do. But Jesus is saying, the reason God made the Sabbath was it was a gift. It was a gift to you. And you took the gift and you destroyed it. I made it for a gift. Why? To keep you from wearing yourself out. You needed one day a week to rest. Your animals needed a day. Your servants needed a day. The fields needed a day. One in seven you work. Or six in seven you work, and then one you don't because God wanted you to have a break. He didn't want you to work on this day. He wanted you to take a break. Take it easy, man. Take it easy. But you turn the Sabbath into a laborious burden for people. And then he drops a bombshell on him, verse 28. So the Son of Man is Lord of the Sabbath. What's that mean for Jesus to be Lord of it? Lord of it. Jesus is saying, listen, pal. I want you to get this really clear. I created it. I created the world, and I made the rules. I made the rules that six days you work, and one day you rest. Because I'm Lord of the Sabbath. It's my gift to the world. I'm sovereign because I'm Lord of it. I'm Creator, I'm God. I'm the second person of the Trinity, Through whom and by whom all things were created. I did it. I did it. That's what Jesus is saying. And here's God Almighty. God Almighty being challenged by these religious turkeys about the Sabbath. It strikes me so many times. Why didn't Jesus just squish them right there and then and get the whole thing over with? Jesus is looking at him saying, Who are you to tell me? Who are you to tell me? If I want to give disciples, if I want to give my disciples food on the Sabbath, I'm going to do it. I'm going to do it. You know why? Because I'm God. I make the rules. I make the rules. And if I say you can do this or you can't do this, I'm God, I make the rules. That settles it right there. Settles it right there. You rabbis aren't lord of it. You Pharisees aren't lord of it. The Son of Man is. And they missed the whole point and they destroyed the whole purpose of the Sabbath. Jesus said, there's a new kind of master in town. He doesn't listen to your rules. Because he's God and that's me. Son of Man. I move on, I'm running around out of time. Okay, I knew I would, trying to go this fast. Okay, number four, Jesus calls for a new kind of spirit. He calls for a new kind of spirit. Chapter 3, verse 1, he entered into the synagogue. So it's the it's Sabbath still. And there was a man there which had a withered hand. And they watched him. Citizens are asked whether he would heal them on the Sabbath day that they might accuse him. And he says unto the man which had the withered hand, stand forth. He saith unto them, Is it lawful to do good on the Sabbath days? He's provoking them. Or is it good to do evil? Is it good to save life or to kill? But they held their peace. And when he looked around about on them with anger, being grieved for the hardness of their hearts, he said unto the man, Stretch forth your hand. And he stretched it out, and his hand was restored whole as the other. And the Pharisees went forth and straightway took counsel with the Herodians against him, how they might kill him or destroy him. Jesus had enough of these guys. He had it up to here with them. I'm not going to put up with this kind of nonsense anymore. I'm going to keep challenging you and challenging you because you are self-righteous, you are conceited, you are full of yourself. So he displays it with the story of the withered hand. He goes into the synagogue on the same day because his disciples ate on that day, and he sees this guy with a withered hand. Now, you have to understand that. That's not life-threatening in itself, is it? So technically, you can't heal him because the guy can get to the end of the Sabbath before you heal him. So Jesus should wait till tomorrow before he heals him. But Jesus knows that. Now the Pharisees, it's an amazing thing, they believe in their heart Jesus can heal them. They have total faith that Jesus can heal them. And they hope he does not to believe in him, but to catch him and to get him in a wrongful act of healing someone on the Sabbath day. And so they want to catch him in a trap. There they are over in the shadows just watching the whole scene, forgetting Jesus knows their every thought. And Jesus, so knowing their thought, tells the man, come here, stand up right here. Then he turns and he looks. The Bible says he looks at the Pharisees. Now, should I do good today, or should I do harm? Should I, should I do, uh, save someone or kill someone? And they held their peace. Literally, in the Bible, it means they were silent. The only two people in the book of Mark that are silent are the demons and the Pharisees. Jesus never wants their testimony because there's so much alike. the guts for Jesus to do this he knows they want to throw the book at him but he still does it and here's the deal the man didn't even ask for healing now my gut is he probably had some level of faith because he had a withered hand his hand withdrew like this it was palsied, is the word so it was, it was pulled in and even though that hand was never healed he kept going to the temple he kept holding on to his faith, even with a withered hand. So it's some level of faith, but he didn't even ask for the healing. And the withered man is now being drawn into the controversy. He's being asked to risk his life, too, because he's going to get healed on the Sabbath. but he don't care either. I don't care about those religious leaders. I don't care about those hypocrites. I don't care about those self-righteous people. Man, I just want my hand back. So simple to him. I just want my hand. And so Jesus reaches out his hand and he heals him. And then the Bible says they conspire to kill him. They conspire to kill him. That's what they were waiting for. Oh, we're so glad he did it. We're ready to do it. Now we can kill him. Jesus was saying, what I'm doing is good. Isn't it? Isn't it good to heal somebody's hands on the Sabbath? I'm for life. Let me say it even stronger. Jesus is saying to them, I'm pro-life. Why would I want to kill anybody? Why would anybody in this culture want to kill anybody? Jesus said, I'm for life. I'm for pro-life. But in your heart, you're planning my death. You're planning to kill me on the Sabbath. That's a huge violation of the Sabbath. You have so messed this thing up. To plot to kill the Lord of the Sabbath is the worst form of the sanctity of life. We're going to kill God. And by the way, if this culture could get their hands on God, they'd do just like they did to Him back then. They'd crucify Him. Now, I'm just about done, and I'm out of time, so I'm going to take just a few minutes just to do this. I don't want you to miss this. The Bible says in verse 5, when he looked around about at them with anger. See that word anger there? It doesn't mean he's perturbed. It doesn't mean a righteous anger. It means he's furious. He has had it with these guys. He is enraged. He is outraged by these leaders who care more about their rules and their traditions than they do about doing good for people. Listen, I hope that never catches you off guard in your life, that you can't care about doing good for people at the risk of your rules and your traditions. That's so important to understand about Jesus. He turns and looks at them with fire in his eyes, yet The Bible says he's grieved at their hardness. There's a pang in his spirit, if you will. Because the Bible warns us about grieving the Holy Spirit. But there is a point where his compassion and mercy ends and anger will erupt on people. God will erupt his anger on people when he gets fed up with them. So that should be a warning to us, okay? That's the only thing I want to say there as I close. That should be a warning to us. So I say to you, Don't harden your heart when the Word of God is spoken. Don't harden your heart when the Word of God is spoken. When His Spirit, through the Word, makes us aware of our rebellion and our hardness. The truth is, every one of us in this room, to some degree or another, has a callousness in their heart. They have a stiffness in their neck. There's some things you're so stubborn about You're stiff. And we can use that hardness. And I'm telling you, the dangerous thing about hardness is danger for every one of us is this, that it is a shield against the Word of God. The only thing that can keep the Word of God from getting into you is hardness. Hardness. Now, you're here today, and you heard the Word. You heard it with your ears. But I'm telling you, as you sit there, you have a shield to divert it. You have a shield to divert it, and that's your hardness. And your hardness can keep it out. It's amazing. You let in what you want, and you keep out what you want to keep out. And God said, don't let that happen in your life where you keep certain things out, where you're so hard, somebody can't even get to you. can't can't even speak to you because you're so hard about it. We all do that at some level or another. But I know nothing that exposes it like the Word of God. And I know nothing that will give it health like the Word of God. Because God is angry and grief-stricken by hardness. So don't just look at the Pharisees, okay? It's time to look at yourself. It's time for you to get honest before God and say, God, I don't want you angry at me. God, I don't want to give you cause to be angry at me. I don't want you to grieve about me because they get hard over something. God, I don't want to be like that. You're my Lord. What do you want me to do? What do you want to hear from me? I'm I'm open. That's what he wants. Let's pray. Is your heart open? You sense the shield sometime? The shield to let anything in, let anyone speak to you? I don't want to hear it. Don't tell me. I don't care. Sometimes the Word just wants to get into you. a good time to look at yourself. We can stand all day here and talk about the Pharisees that are out there. But it's us. Us who love the old, old story. It's us. Those who know it best. Which will be the theme in glory. The old, old story. Father, I pray you take this message and use it in the lives of our hearts. We've heard it. Now what will we do with it? Thank you for reaching down to me, many of us that were sick, of our sin and sick of our life and you came to us and said follow me thank you to everyone who responded to that in here you may be here today and you've never responded to that you never responded to the call of Jesus on your life to confess your sin to own it say I'm guilty I am so guilty Jesus wants to save you. Father, I commit it to you. I commit this time now in Jesus' name. Amen. Amen, let's stand to our feet. Scott's going to lead us to this invitation. Gone a little longer.